Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. On a very special episode, we're jumping back and forth in time trying to stop the apocalypse. If we can stop fighting with our siblings first. It's the Umbrella Academy on Normies Like Us. The world's gonna end in ten days. Yeah, well, you're always saying that. I'm with Diego, because screw you! What are you? Someone who wants to kill your brother. Get up, we're going. Save the world. Oh, is that all? I give you the Umbrella Academy! Welcome back to Normies Like Us, the podcast that reminds you it's hip to be square. We're not in Dallas. If we were, we'd be drowning our hurricane right now. Our heart goes out to them. But we are talking about something a little bit Texas-oriented, a little more time travel-oriented. We hope you got your umbrellas out. Don't open them indoors. We're talking Umbrella Academy on Normies Like Us. That's With your right. host, uh, Number Colin. I'll be the, the white Michael Lynn. <laughs> uh, Space Boy Joe. Ooh. Uh, this is my chemical Jacob. Oh, <laughs> say I'm not okay. The best. Oh, he's not. Like, I thought Joe was gonna go with uh, Pojo or Jobo. Pojo, uh, jo- Jobo, <laughs> yeah, Doctor Jobo, jo- <laughs> something like that. I guess it sounded better in my head. <laughs> what is up, guys? Yeah. That's right. We're talking uh, Umbrella Academy, the emo X Men, as I call it. Wow, that is a great <laughs> name. A That's name. a great take. Uh, and what an opener. We're talking Gerard Way, as we mentioned, My Chemical Romance singer. Uh, maybe not well known as an artist, but we're talking obviously the Netflix release, the comic book. There's more issues coming up. Other weird things happen with this property, but uh, I will start there. Were you guys MCR heads? It was our high school time, I would say. I was not. Well, I mean, like, when when I was a young boy, my father took me to the city <laughs> to see a marching band. So, yeah, I will say, a, uh, Mike member. is probably the the biggest. My Chemical Romance fan I've ever met, so we'll just put it that way. He's in and the I, Black I, Parade. Yeah, a card-carrying member of the Black Parade. I am sad that I didn't make it to that concert they did uh, right before quarantine hit, because it's probably the last time I'll get to see them live. But I did see them uh, at Bamboozle Left in like 2010. It was the last show of the Black Parade tour, and also... Um, we talked off pod, but Hawthorne Heights was playing there as well. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, those those uh, those bands were very important to me growing up as a young uh, young lad in Ohio. Um, I was into some more like the harder, you know, we might call it screamo or something. But I also, you know, was a big fan of My Chemical Romance and and their peers. Um, and I did try to also get tickets to that show in December twentieth last year, but uh, I had to fly that day, so I wasn't able to go. And then their you know planned tour obviously got postponed due to everything that's going on. So. Yeah, yeah, which is not okay, but, um, you know, some would say, and Umbrella Academy might be evidence of this, that emo is not dead, uh, at least mm, in the some right. form or another. How about uh, you got Joe, Colin? Uh, Joe? I, knew all, I knew all the hits. They weren't, like, in my main rotation, but I, I would say, like, on the same level of, like, the used, where I knew, mm. like, all of the big songs, but no, I didn't... Uh, I wasn't lining up for tickets. I never put on eyeliner myself. So I, I would say I'm in a lower tier of fandom for, for MCR. Never okay. put eyeliner on yourself. I want to hear what the haircuts our two MCR listening boys had at this time. But Joe, specifically, uh, I know that we both weren't MCR fans. We took an art class in college where we were kind of taking our first class together when Watchmen came out. 
And I remember us having a conversation being like, oh, did you see My Chemical Romance is doing the Watchmen song? And I was both being like, yeah, yeah, I don't really <laughs> fucking care about that. Yeah, I guess, yeah. Yeah, so, they, I mean, they've always been floating around the comic sphere, and, uh, you know, now we have a, a pretty successful property coming from the lead singer. That's, that's pretty wild. I, I do appreciate that. Yeah, I remember him first talking about this. You know, Kevin Smith had that show Spoilers for a while. It was a Hulu original. And uh, Gerard Way came on, and he was talking about his book. And that's when I first found out about the Umbrella Academy as an idea. He also talked about an album that was post-Danger Days that never came out. So, I don't know. There was a mysterious <laughs> album being worked on. But that's not what this is about. But, yeah, uh, he's always been in the comic sphere. And it's interesting to kind of see uh, how it's you know, grown into this Netflix that I think is a hit, you know, at least for them. Yeah. And we should say that he was the, he's the writer of these comics. He's not the graphic artist. Um, right. So just to make that clear, mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah, big fan of the show. Um, I've never read the comics, but I've actually been pretty interested to check them out at some point because of the show. Um, I know Colin mentioned that he's, he's taken a look at him before and he wasn't a huge fan. Um, but I'm, I'm interested. Yeah, we'll get kind of a deeper dive here again. Uh, Gerard Way created the comic book, uh, not so involved in the Netflix series, um, but I think we're going to kind of start there and work our way back to the origins, if I'm not mistaken, on this episode. But it'll be interesting to talk all things emo X-Men, as, as Jacob put it. That's right. I love it. All right, well, without further ado, uh, we got to get back and stop the apocalypse. Let's jump through the time rip. Oh, hold hands. Yeah. Hold hands. Come on, guys. Hold hands. Jump yeah. in. Don't, hold know hands. Where, don't know where we're going to end up. Cue the cool music. on the soundtrack bangers galore that no that's a dvd that i had in college <laughs> <laughs> normies we're back we're talking bangers uh as mike mentioned up top he is a and fan Nash. of mcr i'm excited for this episode because i know you're going to slip in some awesome music in between our segments dude i'm very excited to check that out when we get back and we were saying what a soundtrack on this incredible netflix show Mike, you're saying, you know, Gerard Way doesn't have too much involvement, but he's he's picking some cool songs. He's doing some covers. Yeah, you know, uh, Hazy Shade of Winter, as we've brought up. It's like the new oh, yeah. Ultimate Alliance, I think, the number of times we mentioned it. <laughs> Anytime Umbrella comes up. It is up. something we text each other, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But uh, yeah, he does a little bit. And he probably has some input on, like, oh, this is a cool track, because his tastes are pretty diverse, you know. Yeah, and he yeah he's done a couple covers, and... I think he did Happy Together in season one as well. That's um, right. You can always tell his voice. It's pretty distinctive. Very distinctive. But does his voice come through um, in the show, at least, as far as the interpretation of, you know, this Netflix version? Ooh. I guess, um, you know, he basically had his pick of the litter as far as networks that wanted this thing. Colin, can you tell me a little bit about that? Its option is a feature at Universal. Uh, it wins a bunch of new artist awards when it's published as a comic book. So obviously it's getting some eyes on it, right? And, you know, I would say to you guys, as we're watching this show, 
would it have worked as a feature-length movie? I, you know, it's such an ensemble piece. It's such a slow burn. You want to get intimate. You want to hang out. This is a normie show. Like, it's interesting for something that's so new on Netflix. Like, you could tell a girlfriend, hey, don't worry about the superpowers. This is about characters. This is about nice people, bad people. Yeah. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what's interesting about it is that, you know, some of the more eccentric parts of it, you can still watch it as, you know, as a normie. Maybe you're not super into superheroes or something because of the the emotions and the characters. Um, yeah. Where does it rank on the, the Netflix list for you guys mm. in terms of original series that they've done? Like, is this one of your favorites? Is this mid-tier to you? I mean, you know, how, how much did you guys enjoy this show on your first viewing? Joe, I mentioned in our big quarantine whatcha that we did a couple episodes ago, I worry that Netflix views the new model of streaming services as what I called a Baby Yoda show. Does it have something that normies would write home about, learn about, embrace, even if they didn't know about the show? Um... For me, it's like, great, I love Umbrella Academy, but I worry that Netflix gets so worried about the exposure it gets, which I really don't think it's getting too much of, but I want to hear what you guys think. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. I, I love this show. I put it up there with, like, BoJack and Stranger Things. This is my third leg in Netflix favorite shows. Um, I remember when it came out, you know, the season one, it was like a three-day watch. You know what I mean? Like, I didn't want to... I, I stopped myself a couple times because I didn't want to burn through it too fast. Season two, I did in a day and a half. Like, I, I cannot get enough of this show. Yeah, I mean, Colin, you mentioned this kind of being a show for normies where you could let the girlfriend, the boyfriend, whatever, you know, kind of dive in, even if they're not a superhero fan. You know, Maya, so she's been loving it. She's the one who keeps saying next, next, next at the end of each episode. So um tying that in especially with season two i think stranger things as far as the netflix spectrum is like one of my favorite original ips but i think it's kind of been downhill ever since season one whereas umbrella academy got better i think in season two um and that's what i what i enjoy so i hope people who haven't watched it will jump in because i do think it's improving yeah i mean in terms of my you know if i'm listing like netflix originals I put it, you know, I put The Witcher Just up the there. Coin. I put Castlevania, mm. <laughs> I put Castlevania up there. Narcos, it's a P good show. <laughs> P- um, Narcos is a P good show. No. What a throwback. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, Narcos has been around a, a, a few years on Netflix, but I think that was one of the one of my favorite originals. But I put it up there with with those ones. I I mean, I love season one. I was super into it. Super into season two. I haven't finished it yet, but I'm about halfway through, and I'm excited. I tried to watch it all before recording today but i just didn't get it in time mm. but you know i'm i'm invested in these characters so much that it just keeps keeps me wanting to watch mike i'm with you in thinking that the they really up the ante in season two and i think it's really interesting they accomplish something it's really hard to do in a tv show where season two is essentially uh you know like a reboot of season one it's it's the same exact type mm-hmm. of story right they got to stop the apocalypse again um, but they do it in such a fresh way that I don't feel like I'm watching the same show again. If anything, I just love the characters, have my favorites already, and now I get to enjoy the journey from the beginning. Yeah, I'm totally with you. And we also mentioned how this wouldn't work as a feature film because of the ensemble aspect. And I think that's what's fun about the season two and season one is you're just able to pair up different pairings of these characters that go on adventures where you get Klaus and Rumor, or you get Five and 
you know, number one. And it's just like these, you just throw two or three together and have them go do an adventure. And like, it could just be endlessly entertaining, much like the X-Men. Yeah, I think that was like um, one of the biggest complaints I had about season one was just I wanted more interaction between certain characters. It felt like they were all kind of having their own arcs and sometimes they met up, but I, I kind of wanted them just to see them all together, or see different pairings, like you said. So I think season two does a good job of exploring these different pairings and stuff. And I think that's really interesting. And just having it set in a completely different place, completely different time period, and still have something interesting for all these different characters to do. That's really hard to do, I think. I'm hearing three praises for season one. I'm going to go ahead and throw out an opinion. I don't like season one. It's mm. exactly for the reason Jacob just said. I think they focus on what are admittedly fan-favorite characters, it turns out, not to me. Hazel and Cha-Cha, um, The Division, you know, all this weird side stuff. So much more than our main characters in the first season that I just go, cut all this out. I just want to hang out with the Umbrella Academy. Well, I do like Hazel and Cha-Cha, but I do see your point that they do focus on them a lot. I think they're interesting. I think the whole, you know... Um, the business of time travel with five and everything. I think it's interesting, but I do want to see, yeah, more focus on, you know, Klaus, more focus on Vanya, I guess. But to me, I, I think the problem with, with the end of season one, if I can be a little critical of it, is that some of the decisions the characters make, I feel like they're just not, not, you know, the smartest decision decisions and like characters don't have to always make the smartest decision, but it just feels like, you know, like number one, basically locking Vanya up at the end instead of just talking to her and trying to work things out. Like to me, that's like something that, you know, is a very easily avoidable conflict. So I guess he does learn from that in season two. Um, but th I guess the characters just do things that I would have done differently. I mean, that's something his dad would have done though, right? Uh, like, I think there are, um, mm. I like that they don't do the right thing ever. Um, and it's not in a cheesy sort of guardians of the galaxy rip off way where, Oh, they just don't get along cause they're assholes. I like that everyone has their own beefs and their own gripes with each other. Yeah. Um, and like Colin, I agree with you in terms of like pacing in season one, it's kind of all over the place. Right out of the gate, I know we'll talk about the comic book more in, in the later part of the episode, but this is one of those rare instances where the adaptation is so much better than the source material, in my opinion. Um, and they did a good job of not making all of the Bureau stuff come out of left field way at the end, as opposed to like having Hazel and Cha-Cha in the beginning, which in the long run, I think works. Well, yeah, I think there is pacing issues in season one. And part of the problem is that there's so much to explain about this world, like so much world building they have to do while still keeping it like, you know, an interesting story that it's kind of hard to pack all the information about time travel, the Bureau, you know, their dad and like his history and everything. Like there's a lot to pack into this. But what I like about the show that it does, I think, really well is it's able to balance this whole overarching plot of stopping the apocalypse with these smaller like personal arcs that each character has different motivations different reasons why they're like fucked up from childhood and stuff and they're all like unique and different and it's able to basically tell all these different stories at once while still containing it in the overarching plot so i think it balances those really well yeah i think the overall strength is in those main characters we you did mention you know cha-cha and stuff and 
when season two started, I totally forgot who that character was on the bench with five. <laughs> you know, like I, I enjoyed them in season one. But by the time I came to season two, I was like, oh, interesting. Okay. So they totally fell oh, off yeah, the map. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, for me. Yeah, I totally agree there. Yeah. And, How about, you know, do we want to do uh, yeah. maybe favorite characters, I was just going to say? And maybe I'll just list them off real quick. Number one, Luther. Number two, Diego. Number three, Allison. Number four, Klaus. Number five, Number five. No, no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> number six, Ben. Number seven, Vanya. You guys love these people? And they all have hero names as well. Yes, very um, complicated, very confusing. Yeah. Per- my personal, by far my favorite character, I, I, probably a lot of people, is definitely Klaus. Um, I just think he's such an interesting character. His power is very interesting, and how that affects his life is really interesting. Like, basically, you know, he's a huge you know, druggy because he has to deal with like seeing dead people all the time and being locked in a crypt by his dad when he was like, you know, 11 years old and seeing ghosts and shit like that. Will, that would probably fuck you up pretty bad. Um, and I just love his character. That's interesting because I kind of I like the idea of Klaus's character and why he's fucked up. But I think the performance can be a little bit extra for me, honestly. Um, he's the only That's person fair. who takes it a little too far into hamminess. I might be alone on this. Uh, but I, I do like all the characters. This is like I'm just trying to find a nitpick here. But um, <laughs> number five is my favorite. But I also love Allison Rumor because her power is just so interesting. Something I've never seen before. So I, I enjoy them a lot. I mean, when we're talking about the Baby Yoda show, I feel like number five is their Baby Yoda, uh, oh, which yeah. is just a a way violent, bloody version of it. But that kid is absolutely incredible i think his performance is in is is so good i mean he's so good at playing an old man in a little boy's body uh like i can't get enough of him and i think if situation was different with with covid and everything there'd probably be like a ton of hot topic t-shirts all about number five and things like that you are so right Yeah. yeah i also want to shout out my second favorite character um, it's a little more understated of performance, but number one, Luther, I think mm. he's a really interesting character because he's like this big, you know, physical guy, but he's so like sensitive and emotional underneath and he doesn't know how to express himself. He feels like he's supposed to be the leader because he's number one, but he doesn't really have like the natural leadership qualities um, or he has to, you know, kind of learn them. Um, and I just I just think it's a really interesting, it's an interesting uh, take. Character. Yeah, for sure. And then we have Raphael yeah. with Diego. Yeah. Uh, Colin, what's your, who's your <laughs> yeah. favorite here? And Diego is so clearly the leader. You know what I mean? Like if it wasn't right, yeah. for the inferiority complex, but because he's I do number two, <laughs> yeah, he's so they have their own beefs. I, yeah, yeah, I get that. I want to know. <laughs> I've done this before. Uh, yeah, I'll, uh, who's my favorite? I don't know. I don't even want to know. But I've done this in my head. Who do you think you guys are the most like? Oh, I've got wow. it figured out, but I want to hear what you guys maybe even think. Probably Klaus. So <laughs> Jacob is Klaus, for sure. Yeah, and let I me tell you that. why. You would have a power that wouldn't be a burden. It would be something you wouldn't want to use. You know what I mean? You would be the guy right. who did get stuck with the power. You're like, ah, fuck this. I would be Ben. Yeah. I would get stuck with the power that makes me sick. I mean, like under stomach issues you. and stuff. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Joe, naturally, I say you're number one. It's, it's where my heart went. Wrong. I'm wrong about that. It's my lovable Mike. He is what? He's good-natured, strong, wonderful. 
because instead Joe would be number Joe two. Joe is Diego. Because you that would makes total find sense. totally makes sense because you would find out of what I would call what we would all call maybe the most worthless power the way to use it the best. Where if any of us were dealt that, we would be like, well, I mean, what would you even call his power, Joe? What would you say it is? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. Also, his superhero name is the Kraken. The Kraken. How does that make sense? What about that makes sense? <laughs> the Kraken. He throws I feel knives like... and his power, his name is the Kraken. I, I yeah. don't understand it at all. I originally thought that number six was the Kraken because of the tentacles. You know, the, He's the, the craftian horror, horror, the horror that comes out of his chest. Right. So the Kraken. Check out our last week's episode, of Lovecraft. Comic um, book I mentioned to these guys off pod before uh, comes from the uh, power that Diego has in the comic book, which is different from the show, Joe. In the comic book, he can hold his breath indefinitely and never be suffocated. He just learns to throw the knives because he even says it's a worthless power. I will never use this. (laughs) But on the show, (laughs) he has some sort of telekinetic based for objects in motion. He can from what the show, I think, shows is that he can curve knives or whatever he throws in the air. So he's kind of like Gambit, but not even as powerful as Gambit. He's just like a less powerful Gambit. He's like, well, he's nothing. He's nothing like Gambit because he can't explode them either. They, right, that's what I mean. He can't explode them, but he can just control. So yeah, Gambit things. can't even control throwing anything. Like that's just something he does to use his power. If anything, he's like the people who shoot guns in Wanted, who, like <laughs> oh. the bullets. Yeah, true. Um, exactly. Well, if you t- but yeah, he's basically, you know, he has the worst power. Um, but, <laughs> but he's he does, the best he tries hero. To do the most with it. Yeah, he has as the hero complex. Yeah. I love the hair in season two, comic accurate. I, I just thought he looked great. I thought he's so yeah. funny in that season two. And to go off this, it's like it's interesting that like pretty much every character has a power that is like ironic to them in some way because like you know it's either a power they don't want or it's just cause them nothing but problems. Basically, Luther, you know, he's a big strong guy, but he it doesn't his personality doesn't really fit his powers. Mm-hmm. Um, Allison, she doesn't want to use her power because every time she does, it just fucks up her life again in right in season two she's like actively not using it because it just gets her in trouble mm-hmm. um klaus obviously he doesn't want to use his power uh ben in the flashbacks when they're kids he is like super against wanting to use his power because it's like he's murdering a bunch people, of people yeah, yeah. yeah. and then he, he hates dies, being a superhero you know? <laughs> yeah so it's like, like every no one of them in it. And then, of course, Vanya, the most ironic of all, is that she was told her whole life that she's ordinary. It turns out she was, like, the most the powerful Phoenix. of them adult, of all. Yeah, she's basically the dark phoenix of sound. Yeah, the Jean Grey of sound. That's I a good – I don't know if that's a band name or now, the dark phoenix of sound. Ooh. That's, like, a good moniker. Um, yeah, and, then, and the Kraken can – you know, he won't suffocate, but he also won't shut up. So <laughs> he never uses that power either. I do not remember – that he could breathe underwater in the comic at all. And Joe, like I, the only reference to him being the Kraken in season one, if you recall when he's doing discount Batman as a vigilante and living in the back of a boxing shop, he boxes under the name, the Kraken. You only see it in a poster yeah. for one minute. It's, it's worthless. So does he have increased stamp? Like he doesn't get winded. Does it at least benefit him in any uh, way? Or is it just about <laughs> holding his breath? Right. I don't know. Um, My question is, you know, Vanya where did her name come from? Because, you know, I assume that like their dad named them all when they were, you know, superhero kids, but Vanya never did. used her powers. So yeah, but I'm talking about her super, like the white violin. Where does that come mm. from? 
Because at the end, you Plays know, obviously she violin. just... <laughs> right, but it turns white. Her whole suit turns white because she's so powerful. And then her violin, which wasn't white, turns white. Um, in the comic, she is put into a white suit. And she's mm. just go, calls the white violin. So I think that I mean, it, just kind of... Yeah, it looks it great. But um, I was just wondering about that. Vanya is an interesting character to me. I don't like her in season two as much just because amnesia as a you know a plot device is not like my favorite you know i think it's kind of you know lazy but um, spider-man 3 of umbrella academy yes. <laughs> my best friend I know you guys were rocking those emo Peter Parker haircuts while you were listening to MCR. <laughs> do we like Ellen Page? I don't know, I do. man. I think... Oh, sorry. We have differing opinions here. <laughs> oh, sorry. I guess I, I'm, you know, I think she works in this role because she's kind of playing this timid person who feels like she's never been special in her life. She feels like she can't express herself. And then she kind of learns. She comes into her power. It's a very obviously Dark Phoenix storyline. Um, but I think it works for her and her as an actor, she fits that role to me. I mean, she works for me, but not in the way I think Netflix intended. Like, I think Netflix was like, oh, we have Ellen Page in a show. She's the real draw. When the reality of the situation is that all of the other performances are just as good, if not better. Right. Yeah. No doubt. And I think we're a couple years like late, not to be like ages, but I think like, I don't know if it's like, it's again, Ellen Page is the name, but we're a couple years out of like her peak stardom, you know, besides The Last of Us. And she something about her performance just doesn't fit. I'm kind of with mm-hmm. Joe. And especially when you have number five stealing every all single the, scene. Yeah. All the ages of the actors do match up, though, because I looked it up. They're all except for number five. Right. They're all in their early to mid 30s. So they're between like 32 and 35. So it makes sense. You know, they're all born on the same day. They're all, you know, appear to be the same age. Mm-hmm. You forget how young she uh, got popular with Juno, but wouldn't you guys say there is a hidden beauty to a performance about someone who, ha- I guess, has to hide a piece of them or doesn't realize a part of them is special when the actress had to kind of be in the closet for a lot of her early career as well? I'm sure that's very relatable to her. Have you tried yeah, I'm... not being a mutant? Sorry. I mean, it's the classic <laughs> X-Men thing. Totally, right? totally. Wow. And... I, I'm glad they gave her like a lesbian love interest in season two because I feel like that fits her much more naturally than in season one. Although obviously the, her love interest in season one is very important for the, the plot. Um, but I do like how because I was kind of expecting her and that guy to kind of team up to become supervillains at the end of season one. And then when she just fucking kills him, like it makes total sense, actually. And I'm like, OK, yeah, that's a perfect way to deal with that character. Was that in the comic, uh, her relationship? Do we know? I don't want to jump too far ahead, but... That guy doesn't even exist in the comic in that Leonard. capacity. In the, yeah, in the comics instead, it's mm. a, it's like a um, an orchestra that wants her to basically end the world for them by playing the white violin. Um, uh, I gotta which say, is, that's pretty I think cool. Way like cooler. A, an apocalypse <laughs> cult. Yeah, I kind of like that. Oh, oh, yeah. And like, you know, there's there's some great panels where... They're playing music while like lackeys run at the Umbrella Academy with like knives and shit like that. So, 
That's, see a lot of well, hate. Who knows? We might see it at some point. Uh, mm-hmm. A lot of fans really dislike that character. They list him off like, you know, are these the most hated people in this universe, as well as the Dallas husband. But I would say it all, it's all worth it when you see his little homemade Umbrella Academy outfit. Like, that's an interesting yes. angle. We've never seen, you know, there's not a, I mean, Spider-Man and Amazing too. I guess you're about to stump me, Joe. I can already feel it. But a little <laughs> kid Incredibles. running out. Oh, God right, damn it. Right, God fucking damn But No, no, no. But Colin what I like about this character, and it's a great addition if he's not in the comics, is because they build on. He's basically a red herring because they build him up. They're like, yes. oh, he's like a super villain who's hated them since he was a kid. Blah blah blah. He's this backstory, and then they just kill him off. So I think it's a great red herring to make Vanya like the actual threat at the end. Um, so I appreciate how they did that. And I get it, he's not a likable character, but he's not but supposed he is to be likable buddy. on the show. How dare you, Joe? <laughs> well, speaking of new characters, yeah. what do we think of Lila in season two? Diego's homie slash double, you know? I mean, I think Lila's a great character. She's all she's like the Harley Quinn of this whole thing. Yeah, I yeah. like her. I mean, I haven't finished season two yet. To me, I did like the Hazel and Cha Cha a little better because I'll explain why. I, you know, you might say they took up too much time in season one. I like their relationship and their dynamic and like Hazel questioning certain things. Um, I just think that that pairing worked really well in a weird way. Um, I mean, I'm glad they're not like, you know, in season two, because I feel like then they would have overstayed their welcome. But as an introduction to the whole bureau of, you know, everything like that works for me. Lila, I haven't finished season two, like I said, so I don't know where her character's going to go. She's intriguing to me, though, so far. I think you'll appreciate her more once the uh, the season wraps up for you. The performance is great, yeah. though. No matter at what point you meet her, I, I from the second she steps on screen, I was like, oh, dang, this is yeah. an interesting yeah, no character. Doubt. Yeah. And how do you feel about the handler? Do you guys like the handler? Well, she's pretty fun, too. I like her, all right. I like the goldfish more, I think, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I haven't seen too much of the goldfish yet, but I... Well, that is in the comic book. He is the handler, so that is the homage, yeah. of course. Okay, gotcha. Well, yeah, I think they do a good job of making goldfish as serious as you can without getting too far <laughs> ahead. But yeah, I, I mean, feel like I, in season I, one, you know, in season like one the they handler. had a mm-hmm. yeah, the goldfish works in season two because they had like you know a talking chimp in season one and people didn't really question it so like okay we can kind of go out there and have like a talking goldfish on a body and people aren't going to question it that is from the comics so i don't like and here's a big problem i just have with stories so bark back at me guys tell me this is wrong it makes five feel not special to me when his entire plot is him getting lost in this apocalypse using his time travel ability, and then other people are introduced just being able to time travel. It kind of invalidates him. It invalidates the end of his mission where, remember in season one where he goes in the room and blows up all the briefcases, and you're like, oh, wow, maybe that'll really cripple. No, next season, I mean, everybody time travels and uses as many fucking briefcases as they want. Well, I guess he didn't blow them all up. But the whole thing is, like, number five, he's the only one who can time travel without a briefcase. So they need those special briefcases to be able to time travel. But even he can't control his own time travel powers that well. I mean, I think it's definitely interesting. The show was like, okay, time travel is going to be a big element of this. It's really not in the comic. I mean, like, there's... There's only, you know, one instance of, like, the entire team traveling through time or going to different times. Like, it's not 
like the show where season one is like, oh, okay, and we're going to go back in time and we're going to do this all over again. You know what I mean? Like, I think they kind of didn't have a choice but to do the, the briefcase thing. But thinking about it now, yeah, that does kind of invalidate. I mean, at least a throwaway line at the beginning of season two where we're like, oh, we only have six briefcases. So, you know, we need to use them carefully. Well, the handler does say, I think at the end of season one to five, that like, oh, you all but destroyed the briefcases. So she says you all but. So that means there's still at least a couple working ones, maybe. And then Hazel has one at the beginning of season two that I think he already had. So um, and then that one is destroyed, I believe. So I feel like there's not as many left now, but they still have some. Right. And you're watching these back to back. So like there's some things I didn't rewatch season one, you know, but I did watch season two for this. And so, yeah, some things like that, those kind of inconsistencies, you know, I, I was missing. But, yeah, the fact that he blew up those. Yeah, maybe there could have been a little bit more to explain what's going on there. Yeah. I think it, it works really well to binge both these seasons together because rolling into season two from season one, like the, the climax of season one was so like great looking with the effects and everything. I was super into it. And then I rolled into the first episode. They all drop into Dallas and then five shows up and then they all are together. The emo X-Men, we see them in their full powers for like the first time, all mm-hmm. wearing these like black uniforms looking super cool. Just for a brief moment, we see them. Um, and I was so hyped. I was like, Oh my God, this is what I wanted to see the whole time in season one. Blew our mind. Got a little glimpse so of pumped up. Just you texting us. That was like, man, I, I like, fucking want to rewatch that scene. It is cool. Seeing everybody go full seeing Klaus come in with out. his like army of the dead. And then you see like dead Ben, like killing people with his tentacles and stuff, man. Yeah. I mean, you haven't really seen that kind of superhero as a team action since the opening of season one when they had their little, you know, masks on and their school uniforms. Right. And just think, you know, it's a TV show. So the effects are like really good, I think, for the budget they probably have. Yeah. While we're on the Netflix versus the comic, let's talk about a change the show makes that even Gerard Way said, God, I fucking wish I had come up with that. Guys, Ghost Ben is not a character in the comics. He does not accompany Klaus on his yeah. adventures. Can oh, you imagine really? that? I mean, the power is wow. written in that you can communicate and converse with right. the dead. And it's like, no, no, no. Seems Even like though no one of our members is dead, let's just fucking write that off. And it's it's so weird, too, because I read the comic. I read every issue of the comic after I had seen both seasons of the show. Um, and I kept waiting for, like, in the Apocalypse Suite, the first book, the twist of being like, oh, Ben's going to get him out of this situation by helping, blah, 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 never happens. He's just dead, and they just mention that he's dead every once in a while. Yeah, and as much as I kind of mentioned earlier that I think Klaus's performance could be a little extra, that's probably mostly in season one. I do really enjoy what he does with Ghost Ben, where it's like, yeah, you're the only person I could talk to, but you also kind of really annoy me. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's really fun, right? Classic buddy cop, you know. Um, but why think, lie? Why yeah. say to your siblings, Mike, that he didn't come back with you? That breaks my heart. Yeah, that kind of <laughs> annoys me, too, because it's like you could just, you know, he's there. Like, just tell your other siblings. But I think that's just Klaus's personality, I guess. Well, it's also like you got to think about him. it from Klaus's perspective. Like, he has to deal with people he wants to see and doesn't want to see all of the time. So, no, I'm not going to sit here and be like a human fucking Ouija board for you just so you can talk to Ben. Like... I got to talk to everyone and I I hate it. Yeah. That that. is crazy though, that he's not in the comics because it seems like a no brainer. Cause like I thought the whole point of killing Ben off was to give, you know, to have that relationship with Klaus and Ben, like it just makes total sense. So yeah, 
the, the seance or, you know, Klaus in the comics also has like way more abilities than we've seen him use in the show. Like he's got mm-hmm. telekinesis. He can full on possess people and make them do things. He can, you know, send his mind places. He's like, I think he can fly unless the art just threw me off. Like he can basically do anything. This is the, uh, the emo self insert like superhero you know i yeah, can speak to the dead and fly and i'm psychic and don't read my diary <laughs> but come on robert sheehan in that performance would you guys guess that he's a scott <laughs> i mean yeah that he has a thick brood uh i mean it's a pretty impressive performance justin h min has been with him the entire time it's just so soulful and sad ah do you like the cult stuff jacob having not gone all the way through the season yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it, it makes sense. And like, that's something I like about them all going back in time. Like they all kind of find something for them to do while they're like waiting for five to show up. Like, you know, Allison gets involved in civil rights. Um, Diego, of course, with his hero complex is trying to save JFK. <laughs> um, like it all makes sense in context. So I like, you know, if, if he went back to the 60s, he probably would start a cult. Uh, and he loves being the center of attention. Um, and then the funny, the funny thing is, is now he's trying to like get away from them because they're just annoying him too, too much. clingy. <laughs> My cult is too clingy. Yeah, I got to get away from them. And there's some really he, great he, stuff. Yeah. And even though he's, he has a lot of times he's kind of the comedic, um, you know, angle of the show, but he also has very emotional moments, like with his relationship with Dave, who he met in the Vietnam war. And then he tries to confront him and like, that's just so heartbreaking, you know, and you deal with like, you know, homophobia in the sixties and stuff too. So. Yeah, good stuff, I think. Remembering that he has been to Vietnam and lost someone he loves. And like, (laughs) like there are some really deep emotional beats that he gets to explore. And there's some really great stuff with him and Ben, too, in season two as well uh, that I don't want to get into. But yeah, I I guess more of my complaints with Klaus are season one Klaus, because season two Klaus Mm -hmm. is actually very, very, very fun and very deep. I mean, I think it's pre and post Vietnam Klaus is really the way to look at it, at least to me. Yeah, it definitely changes the character. Yeah. yeah, again, another uh, problem with season one is I just wish the siblings would talk to each other more and uh, explain what's happening to them. But, um, like, but, I love you know, the little stuff. Mike uh, pointed out, or maybe it was you, Jacob, uh, in season two, you get the cooler, more interesting pairings. I like the little stuff mm-hmm. that you see, like when Allison and Klaus are hanging out dancing in the hair shop. But then you remember Klaus was wearing Allison's skirt at the funeral for their father in the first episode. Like, I'm sure they've always had kind of like a, you're my little sister relationship, right? Like, that's They're so day cool. drinking, having a good time. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let me cry on your shoulder kind of, you know. Yeah. yeah. They've always and had seeing that. seeing Vanya being able to interact with her siblings, not, you know, remembering anything from season one. Um, it's fun. Like, you know, I, like I said, I don't like the amnesia plot device, but I do like what they're kind of doing with, with Vanya as a character in season two. Jacob, have you seen the meme, of course, that is maybe taking uh, Umbrella Academy a storm? Maybe, like Joe said, maybe this will be the the Baby Yoda. Uh, the the number five and Vanya driving past each other, seeing each other in the cars. Mm, I don't know. You have not seen that seen yet? It. Ah, that no. is that is another thing where I go like, God, what a little pairing. Like, even when they were kids, maybe five and seven were friends. It's just like there's little moments where yeah. I go, oh, I love them. I love these little numbered babies. Well, yeah. They did have a little bit of that in season one with five and seven. And I also really like uh, seven and three, Allison and Vanya, the two sisters and their relationship. That's really well done in season one and, and going into season two as well. Yeah. And that moment where Vanya 
cuts uh, Three's throat in season one was crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think those pairings is what makes season two really good. I don't know if you've gotten to uh, Luther and Five, but they have some really great stuff as well. Um, some of the best stuff, I think, in the entire series so far. Yeah. Big man, did, little man. Luther and Diego, too. They're rivalry in season two. Or Jacob, have you seen where Luther Leo starts Ralph, taking yeah. the... Yeah, exactly, Mike. But have you seen where Leo starts, starts doing, doing the, the nitrous? The nitrous? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Sure, I'll do nitrous. <laughs> Luther has like a moment every season where he just goes on a crazy drug trip because he's you know just so sad. <laughs> um, but yeah, he probably hung out big. with Klaus back in the day, too. <laughs> But just seeing these distinct characters, like it's so well done because this easily could have been a show where like all the characters feel too similar and they don't have distinct personalities and motivations. And this show balances, it truly is an ensemble piece and no character really feels like they're the main character, but it highlights the strengths of all of them, I think. Let's talk about Luther for just a second then. You were saying you just hit the episode where we see the Pogo Serum, right? And we know now that that is obviously what saved Luther's life, gave him his ability, a tragedy. How, how would you guys handle that? I, I, I don't know. Would you wear it as a badge of pride? I would go and join an underground boxing ring for the mafia, obviously. <laughs> obviously. <laughs> yeah, what else are you going to do? for Jack Ruby. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, it's like it's hard because he feels like he's like physically deformed and he's been on the moon for four years. So he doesn't know how to talk to people as well because he's just been isolated for so long. And then he feels so betrayed by his dad because he was kind of the slowest to like, you know, every every other sibling kind of turned on their dad and just like, you know, I'm done with him. He's an asshole. Luther never really gave up until after his death. So he never moved out of the house. Yeah. So it's just heartbreaking to to witness him kind of be betrayed by his dad, the one person that he, he was still kind of following. Yeah, and he's the only person who kind of has like a physical like transformation or deformity. Like he can't just fit in like anybody else, you know, of the Umbrella Academy. They could just kind of pass as, as a normie, so to speak. Right. But he like, yeah, like he has trouble fitting in. He, he doesn't want to show that he's got gorilla arms and stuff, so... As a sensitive boy, that's got to be tough, and it's got to be warm in that coat year-round. <laughs> a turtleneck, yeah. too, Mike. Yeah, all the way up, man. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, just, just like you said, the duality of him being so big, but he's the sensitive one, it, it, it really works. Um, and taking, putting new spins on classic superhero ideas, because as we said, it's the emo X-Men, but unless all the characters work together, the whole thing falls apart. And I think Netflix has done a good job of maintaining that bar and kind of raising it with season two. And I look forward to a season three. Are you guys excited for the potential of season three? Do you think we get one? I want to hear that. Is it a, is it a hit or shit umbrella Academy two? Again, I, I don't so. see a lot of people write about it. I know people loved it. I, I hope we get a three mic. Yeah. I did look into some, you know, are people talking about the show on Twitter and stuff? I looked it up. They are a little bit like there's like a stand community for them. And especially Ben, the actor that plays Ben, Online seems to love that guy, so he could be a rising star, that actor. Um, and, you know, he doesn't get as much to do as the other siblings in the show. So, um, But, yeah, I would definitely be in, into a season three. I hope it gets made, and, uh, you know, I hope people watch it. Yeah, I do not think it's on the level. Maybe This could just be my perception, but I think, like, The Witcher is probably something that if they said there's no season two, people would flip out about more than this yeah. but personally like i want to see it finished 
and I'm pretty sure with the comics, like each has been adapting certain sets. And I think we only have like one segment left to go before we've adapted the I entire. I think there's four, book. right? Or there's four. There's that a were fourth made, coming so. out. It's just been announced. Obviously, they just waited to announce it to tie it in with the release of Dallas. It has so okay. far gone. Obviously, not the first being titled it, but adapting Apocalypse Suite Volume One, Dallas, the name of Volume Two, Hotel Oblivion Volume Three. It's about a supermax jail of supervillains that they've gone up against. I, I don't think we're going to get anything like that. Volume 4, kind of a spoiler. I wouldn't want to ruin for Jacob. Um, I think that is what they're going to adapt, based on the name and sort yeah. of based um, on the... 100%. Hit. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like that's not even a question to me. Like, the, the fourth... The, I, I think they're just going to combine elements of... Um, Hotel Oblivion into the fourth book, which hasn't been released yet. Um, mm. But, like, I think it'll just be a mix of the two. Because you got to think, like, with where the show is going, the idea that there would be a Supermax prison isn't out of the picture. That's definitely something that could exist that we haven't seen yet, especially with where we end on season two. Um, I mean, like, I would fucking give up all the seasons of the watcher for um, umbrella Academy three. I did not think that show is very good. And this show is you mean the better. witcher. What's the watcher? <laughs> the watcher, <laughs> the whatever, watcher. get rid of it. <laughs> no, I hear you. The witcher well, does have, do well, there's not as, as many boobs in, uh, in this show, but the, oh, the structure true. of the witcher was very confusing, a little bit on purpose. Cause the age of the characters, we did an episode on it, go back. But yeah, I think overall just at an entertainment factor and an ease of watching, I do enjoy this a lot. And I, I, would need The Witcher Season 2 to be way better than Season 1 was, despite the amount of money they threw on it. But it kind of has the most carnage of anything on Netflix, wouldn't you guys say? So it's certainly not a young adult or child-oriented program. Mike, I'm surprised there isn't, like, excessive nudity. I, not that I would be for it, but you, you would sort of wonder if they would find more of a market that way. Uh, this is trying to. I, I don't know where this is exactly slotting in because it's it's coming in below the boys, right? You know, but it, I guess it's yeah. just kind of family fun, you know. And and like I said, anybody can kind of watch it. Um, I hope it gets another season. That's all, you know. And like we said, knowing the name of the fourth book, and you know, I, I hope we get this next season with that, and because I just want to see it wrapped up. Yeah, I don't know how many people are watching it. You know, Netflix doesn't release their numbers or anything like that. But, I mean, I've seen it promoted a little bit online and stuff, so I'd hope that it's getting an audience. The Witcher, they'll never, they won't cancel that. I mean, at least not in the foreseeable future. I mean, it has the, the star Henry Cavill attached. It has the name recognition from the game especially. So even if it's not – there's problems with season one, I don't see that show getting canceled to be honest. But Jake, yeah, I mean, don't take it as a threat. I was just saying, I think it's one of the better Netflix shows, and I would get rid of <laughs> half of their programming to keep it. That is a fucking threat, sure. Joe. Because when Netflix, <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to take the Witcher. I promise. But when Netflix releases <laughs> the not. data, Joe, and says, "Well, Chris Hemsworth's Extraction was the biggest movie we've ever had because a billion, you know, screens watched it for at least two minutes," it's like. Wouldn't you would think they would at least turn on Umbrella Academy? At least one of the shows that ends would like roll into it and they would at least get some views off that, right? Or are they truly measuring? Well, not everybody watched every episode of Dallas on the first day, so sorry, Jacob, you're the reason we don't get number three. 
Well, when season two dropped, it was kind of promoted like, you know, in the top of that, when you go to the, mm-hmm. the website, the splash page, the, the top, yeah, shows like whatever's trending or, or they're trying to get people to watch. So that was when season two dropped, it was promoted there for a while, at least to me. So I mean, I'm hoping this is the audience. same. It's the same cycle we go through every time there's a Netflix show. And it's the Netflix model problem where everyone talks about it for four days and then either you watched it or you didn't. And then by the time you watch it, everyone's like, yeah, I already saw that. You know what right. I mean? Like, it's not, I, I think well, that's I the was, case for everything except Stranger Things. And I would trade a, I would trade a season four of Stranger Things for, for a season three of, of oh, Umbrella easy. Academy. Easy I, w- I would give you season four of Stranger Things any day for, for the season <laughs> three of Umbrella Academy. Because really, the only good Stranger uh, Things Hooper. is season one. <laughs> Hopper. Think, well, he becomes. Yeah, Hopper, uh, he's going to be in that Black Widow. Uh, See, yeah. the thing with Stranger Things is, it was a surprise hit, so then they try to capitalize on it by just making taking watering the it down unnecessarily. This had extra yeah. stories to tell, and it has another story to tell, and I certainly hope they do. Uh, again, though, it falls out of people's attention so quickly, and now that things are coming out again, it's hard for things to kind of stay in the conversation. Now that. Uh, the cycle is slowly starting to turn over again. Right. I mean, as of the release of this, you know, we've gotten Bill and Ted and New Mutants in theaters or whatever, Tenet. you know. So yeah, sure. Cycle, I mean, it can't happening. be like it can't be Tiger King or Bust though. Like that's not really a fair measurement of success. So honestly, like I think it's probably going to get another season. I, I think that they probably have some deal with. I mean, like you you don't make another issue of the comic book that's going to align with the show without doing the show, if that makes sense. Right. And they need as many original IPs as they can with, you know, other contracts ending that'll be taken to their parent streaming services, you know, other kind of IPs. Like, who knows when Star Trek's just going to get pulled over to CBS All Access and then, right. you know, that that's that. So they need all the original IPs they can they can get right now. And I think, um, yeah, the, sh- the showrunner, the actual showrunner of the show... Um, you know, he has, a, he has a good history of, <laughs> of, of quality TV as well. You know, he worked on Fargo and stuff. So, um, I think that guy, you know, he has a bright future as well. Even if maybe we get one more season of the show, maybe we get two more, but I still think that guy will have a good future in other things. I want 10 more. This is a cast that I could watch forever. I, <laughs> I think the, the show is so much better than the source material in my opinion i could watch them stop the apocalypse over and over and over again i hope it keeps going Which one you would you rather see? A season three of Umbrella Academy or the Snyder Cut? <laughs> oh, geez, season three of Umbrella Academy easily. <laughs> no way, no Snyder Cut, baby. That's yeah, more about I, doomsday than hey, the apocalypse. Just real quick, because uh, I this is something I would normally text you guys, but I will say it on pod. I did see someone post online today in defense of it saying, Excuse me, do you know how much money they raised for the National Suicide Prevention Fund? People are alive now because of the Snyder Cut. What has any other superhero <laughs> property ever done to keep someone alive? That's oh, a good point. Good point. <laughs> That's fair. I'll, I'll give it to them. I'll tell you, though, like, I watched the entirety of the DC fandom event, and uh, I loved it. I thought it was incredible programming, so much better than San Diego Comic-Con at home. It was 
a full day of, of actual news drops, interesting content, both introspective and revealing. Uh, adored it. The Snyder part was the absolute worst because he brought on super fans and basically was like, did you ever think it would happen? Do you ever think you'd get to see my vision? <laughs> we won. He actually says the Snyder cut movement over and over again, which is some like Klaus ass energy of like, no. Umbrella did, did you think my cult right. would work? Get us. Jacob said there's a small stand community. Get us. I don't care if it's art of like Ben and Klaus kissing that people are putting online. I don't care if it's like. Yeah, we might yeah, be some shipping there. Yeah. Guess what, pals? It'd be okay because they're it. adopted. Yeah, even the That's incest right. that the show tries <laughs> to do with uh, one and three and is okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I looked at, I saw some of the, I didn't watch the fandom, but I did see the highlights. Big fan of the, uh, the Batman trailer. Um, not so much the Snyder Cut, but I'm still going to watch it because I want to stay informed, obviously. So everyone's going to watch it. Well, and it'll I get a billion it views and we'll get that and not Umbrella Academy. <laughs> I, you guys put it in my head that it's a possibility we wouldn't get it. Honestly, like just based on the quality, I thought it was a slam dunk. We're definitely going to get it. Shows leaps yeah, I thought and bounds about every other show. You said you like the cast, Joe. I think they're maybe a little too big now. You know, obviously they haven't done a lot of stuff. Robert Sheehan did that um, London is a car movie Misfits. was the first oh. time I ever saw him. Whatever that was called, oh, the, the Peter yeah. Jackson thing. London is a car. <laughs> That's the, what the that city, movie is, bro. Fucking everybody else is just like popping up in a lot of stuff now. I, I I could see them being like, it's not worth it. I disagree entirely. If you can keep those Stranger Things kids around, even though they're in Ghostbusters and It, you can you can keep this cast. That's right. Yeah, I think they can pull it off. And then you mentioned earlier the apocalypse is finding new ways to stop it, and it just keeps happening. I, I like that. Um, as long as it idea. stays, you know, interesting. Because if it, I if think, they start rehashing things, then it right. be as good. But if I'm worried, if they go off, if they run out of source material and they start. You know, trying to make their game own Game of Thrones in it. Yeah, up. it might it might oh. have a Game of Thrones effect. So. No, I, I after reading all of the source material, I disagree so hard. I don't think Umbrella Academy would have won a single award or gotten a publisher had it not been Gerard Way of My Chemical Romance, who can walk into a room and say, "I wrote this comic book. Are you going to make it?" And they're going to say, "Oh yeah, of course we are, because you're rich and famous." Uh, like it is. Pretty, pretty bad, to be honest. Yeah. And this this is what, 2007 he's writing? The, when did the book come out? Uh, 2006, so... Uh, uh, yeah. Okay, so... The height, so that's the uh, height of MCR, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, Black Parade came out that year and went triple platinum, so yeah, that's the yeah. height of his powers. And, like, I mean, you know, it planted some great seeds, but all of the stuff that we are praising about the show is not in the comic, like... The, the Ben and Klaus relationship, um, mm-hmm. like, that's non-existent. The, the red herring of Vanya's love interest, that's not in the comic. Um, right. The art is extremely cartoony. It is not, like, traditional panel work at all. I think some of the most interesting stuff they do is, and this is why I think it's still worth reading, um, at the top of every issue, they kind of reintroduce you to the kids via the number and some sort of anecdote from another character. So there's an issue where it's like from the personal pages of Pogo's diary. And it's like, mm. you know, the horror. He's such a sensitive boy. He doesn't want to be a superhero. He's just trying to impress Luther. And like those little tidbits 
are so much better than the actual writing in the book. Right. Mm. That's why I like the the brief flashbacks that we see in season one of them as kids working as a team and the way they use those kid actors. And then obviously five is there too. And how they kind of blend that, like those, those brief moments where they see kind of see their personalities as kids is really well done as well. Yeah. I mean, maybe it's a little jealousy because it is like, you had a pretty good idea for a comic book and you were able to just like walk into an office and a major publisher is going to do it because you're, already famous for another reason you know um well joe you just have to become a famous rock star and then you get your comic made <laughs> that's that's true that's how i'll do it that's how I, that's how fair. all the greats do it <laughs> yeah and if the easy way to get a good comic book off the ground is to take the other one of the most hardest career paths to be successful in then you know is it really that much easier i don't know yeah. but he did have a leg up from his pitching you know yeah no doubt standing yeah he was a graphic artist. He went to a uh, technical college, obviously, and um, studied comic book writing and uh, wanted to do that. You know, the, the performing was second nature. Mike, just real quick, side tangent. Mm-hmm. I think Black Parade is the best music video ever created. It has weird yeah. German expressionism. It does what I think a uh, music video should do. Opposed to something like Sledgehammer by Peter Gabriel, somebody might say that's the best ever. I think you have to have the band singing the song for it to count as a music video, so I think that's really cool too. Yeah. Jacob, it is directed by a guy who's done a billion music videos, but only one feature film, The Nightmare on Elm Street remake which I think is such an interesting, underrated movie. And you had a friend who wrote like a 50,000 page like essay on about how it's about like post 9-11 and stuff. And I always found that really cool. Yeah. Oh, um, wow. That's interesting. Yeah. I, what, I think what's interesting with, with, with Gerard Way too is that, um, he, you know, in My Chemical Romance, they had a lot of, interests other than like you know people when they think of that you might think a very stereotypical like emo aesthetic from the 2000s um but like you know black parade and stuff is inspired by a lot of you know like you said german expressionism different things that you wouldn't normally think of a stereotypical emo band like you know and that's i was also surprised with the show i know he's not directly involved with the with the production and stuff but i almost expected it to be more aesthetically like like mid-2000s emo basically yeah, and it's not as much. I mean, it's probably better that it's not because it's more normy, you know, acceptable. And, like, that aesthetic is not exactly popular in 2020 as it was in 2006. But um, so it kind of, you know, subverted my expectations a little bit, the show, just how, how different than, than I was expecting it to be. I do hope in the next season we get them wearing the masks again. That is something. As that, adults? Uh, I didn't even yeah. consider that. Yeah. I do in the comic Luther like never stops wearing his like he just never takes it off and they're you know rumors like oh you're you're still wearing the mask and he's like oh yeah I'm a superhero right and, and did we mention the last one big change from the comic uh it's not a gorilla serum that saves and sort of remaps his DNA it's that his head is literally transported onto the body of what's called a Martian gorilla um Again, it's there's it's just so abstract, guys. It's so purposely yeah. obtuse. And the there's art kind um, of reminds me of the gorillas. Sorry, Joe, I didn't mean to get. Oh that. no, it definitely does. The, the art <laughs> oh, is, does. is way yeah. more cartoony. Um, 
and yeah, there's a bunch of like little things like Pogo is not the only intelligent ape in in the universe. There's a bunch of apes. There's one point where Five is like getting a pseudo lap dance from a, an ape who's singing, uh, you know, Happy Birthday, Mr. President, like like Marilyn Monroe. Oh, it's it's kind of like batshit <laughs> in a lot of different ways. Um, I kind of like that though. Yeah, yeah. I, that's there why are, I want to check out the comic. Chimpanzees. Like I actually singing Happy Birthday. I looked at some panels. Sorry, go ahead. It's it's worth checking out, Jacob. But I will say there yeah. is a a twist in the show that is yet to happen for you. That is not a twist in the comic book. It's on the first page of the first hmm. issue. I might already know what it is based on hmm. me reading the Wikipedia and maybe being spoiled. If it's something about their dad, yeah, um, I feel def- like I you definitely know, what know it that. Is. Yeah, because um, yeah. I just read it on the Wikipedia. But I looked at some panels of the art online and stuff, and I don't know. It looked interesting to me. I, I'm interested to check it out, even if even if I don't like it. And even seeing like Hazel and Cha Cha in season one, when where they're wearing those like masks, mm-hmm. it's like you see that in the comics. It's like, oh, that makes sense because they wear that in the in the comics. But but they're yeah, much more a, one-off. A, they're much more um, surface uh, level. Hazel and Cha Cha. I mean, like when you get I, Mary you know, Blige, I read them. I read them because I was running hot off of, you know, watching the show and loving the show so much. I was like, well, I might as well read every issue of the comic in in two days. Um, So, I mean, it's definitely worth checking out, uh, if only just to kind of see, like, the differences. Because there are a ton of differences. And is it a a quick read? I mean, what are we talking? And where can we find it if we want to check it out, Joe? It's a Dark Uh, Horse comic. Yeah, it's a Dark Horse comic. You can get it on Comixology if you have a, a subscription there, or I'm sure there are more nefarious means. Um, you could also go and support your local comic book shop because a lot of them are doing curbside pickup uh, throughout the country. So, you know, if you got some extra dough, you might want to do that. If not, if you are a casual comic book fan, I would recommend Comixology because you can get stuff from the minors and majors, and uh, there's some really great backlogs as well. So, it is awesome. three volumes that are available right now with a fourth full volume on the way. And then there's also some one shots um, like Klaus going and becoming a commander in the French army or, or Hazel and Cha-Cha saving Christmas. Like there are some weird one shots as well that are collected in another kind of digital ashtray, ashtray type, uh, mm-hmm. you know, collection definitely... that uh, you can do. Yeah, nice. I'll definitely have to check them out. When I first heard about this, like even before I think the show came out, it just made me think of Coed and Cambria because like the lead singer of that band has like his own comic that's like interwoven with their music and stuff. That's a whole like concept album thing. So I was thinking that, which is like totally different than what Umbrella Academy is really. Let's hold on. Let's go on that route real quick. Is this the best thing a musician has created that's not their music or done for humanity, or is it what? Is it Travis Barker or who from Blink One Eight Two who got the Alien footage released? Tom oh DeLong. no, that was Tom that was Tom DeLong. DeLong. Yeah, that's right. He loves uh, aliens. This National is easy, treasure, guys. Tom DeLong. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to make. Uh, you know, I don't want to cut anybody's you know, legs out from under them. But the best thing that a artist did that wasn't their music is eight mile oh yes period oh, that's like, fair that's, yeah, that's true that's the greatest piece of art that's mom's not spaghetti made by musician yeah yeah mom's spaghetti in my opinion i like that yeah but, like uh, coed and cambria they had all their albums are linked to this comic that he 
would put out and it's all tied together and like if there's you're a really continuity deep in the from mythology, the first album all the way to the last yeah, like but that's for super that's like super not normie so like well even the black parade is a concept album about someone accepting their own debt they have right. cancer and they're accepting that they're going to pass like that whole album tells a story and even danger days the next album from my chem was a complete concept album too so yeah. gerard way's always kind of been fascinated with telling stories and creating these worlds and even Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge had references to like the Watchmen and stuff. That's you know, my and favorite. The lyrics. MCR album. So, Most people say Black um, Parade. I like Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge the best, but obviously Black Parade is also a classic. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the comic does feel very much like its own universe. It is a, you know, they have super villains that they battle that you get to know that, you know, I wouldn't mind seeing some of them um, in flashbacks in future seasons of the show or based on where we left off on the show, I think we could see some some totally radical moves made. Yeah. And you mentioned on, I believe, the quarantine catch-up episode or something that we're talking about the boys and, and shows like that where not often are they fighting crime as much as either fighting with each other or, you know, it would be cool to see maybe some more villains coming into the series as well. Yeah, now I think we might get they're getting the family then. stuff figured out. Yeah, I think we might get some of that in the next season. I think they might take some Hotel Oblivion elements and mix them in with whatever uh, the fourth book is going to be. I we do know the title of. I also did mm-hmm. some research, uh, as Jacob did, on their ages to see how they were aligned. I was very impressed. If we were getting some, maybe some super villains or something in the next one, I was looking up some actors. I was like, who are actors in their 30s? I don't even know people like that. And you know who stuck out to me, Jacob, who I thought I would love if this little Brit was involved in this show, kind of playing like a buttoned up bad guy. Who is the guy on Game of Thrones who's getting dragged because his legs don't work that they kind of just write out? He's like, a, he can also warg like uh, Bran. Bran? No, but who's the who's the little guy whose sister is with him? Oh, um, Joran Reed or something. I like that little actor. Yeah, that that guy yeah. specifically, and okay, he would be yeah. perfect for the age range. Where I'm like, he's a TV guy. That would be somebody interesting. I'd like to see on the cast of Umbrella Academy. Sure. Luther got burned up by a dragon, so maybe he can put in a phone call. Oh, that's <laughs> right. He was in that, wasn't he? That's right. right. Yeah, Game of Thrones Dickin. guy. He's the Dickon. Yeah. <laughs> He's Sam. Yeah, yeah. He's Sam's brother. Um, he had too much pride. He got roasted. That just blew my mind because I love I love just seeing random minor Game of Thrones actors and different stuff, and then remembering that they were in Game of Thrones. Um, yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah, I was originally looking up the a- the ages of the actors and stuff because I was like, how old is Ellen Page, anyways? Because I thought she was older. And I, looked I it did up, she's the 33, same thing, which like blew my mind. But she's been around forever. You know, she's been around since Juno when she was like 18, so it makes sense. But um, yeah. And I love Ellen Page. She's a great actress in, in most stuff that she's in, I think. Yeah. I mean, since the quarantine yeah. catch-up, I have finished The Boys. Um, and while I like The Boys, Doom Patrol, and Umbrella Academy, I stand by that The Umbrella Academy is the best version of this type wow. of show. It is incredibly polished. Uh, the character arcs are more dynamic, and they balance the cast better than any. Nice. And at the rare case of the show being better than the source material, although that being said, check out the source material. Comixology is an easy way. Support local, right? Yeah. And uh, and what's interesting is, you know, a lot of people, the boys also based on a comic. A lot of people say the show is better than the source material. So it's funny that you compare those trend. two. Um, for me, I have a hard time choosing because I think both those shows are really good. 
in different ways and I just I really enjoyed season one of the boys so I don't know if I would put Umbrella Academy above it but I like them both so much it's hard for me to really say one is better than the other well you know boys season two will be coming out soon um, so maybe when that's all said and done we can come back and talk about it and then see which we prefer um, but up until then uh, we've been talking Umbrella Academy season one and two and the book let's go ahead and get our final thoughts and the wrap up Normies like us. I got the briefcase. Everyone, hold hands again. Please don't drop me in three years. Oops. Oops. We left Jacob in the 50s. He's like way <laughs> older than all of us now. Uh, he wants socialism oh, oh no, so Jacob bad. Got polio. <laughs> they are not what? having it. You're a straight I would be white a jazz guy. musician with a heroin addict. <laughs> That's yeah, good to say. Right. Things turned out pretty good for you, Jacob. Well, now you're in Lovecraft country. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. So. Let's jump right into it. Yeah, we're you know I love the device real quick where it's like we're gonna do the Back to the Future thing where we can use the same set. We'll just kind of dress it differently for every year that they're like kind of staggered in season two. Oh yeah, that's very cool. Um, last thoughts, Umbrella Academy. Right? I mean, I enjoy this thing a lot. I am a Black Parade member, and I want the season three. So everyone listening at home, tell us what you think about it. But more importantly, Please. tell Netflix hashtag. Umbrella season three. I don't know what it is. You know, you can figure it out. You're smart kids. Make it <laughs> come happen. On, come on. Come up with one. Yeah. No. Get it. Get it trending. We didn't tell you what to get trending, but do it. Come on, kids. You just, you'll figure it out. Yeah. I'll, I'll go back come in time on, and Zoomers. tell you. <laughs> yeah. You, you use your iPhone 10s. <laughs> Any last I thoughts? I think they're on the 12 now. Oh, yeah. I do want to mention this. The, the distribution model. We mentioned Umbrella Academy. All comes out at once. You binge it. Kind of forget about it. The Boys is allegedly coming out with three episodes up front and then weekly episodes until it finishes. Mm. And then we've been getting Lovecraft Country, which we did an episode on the first you know, installment. That is just a weekly kind of release. So three different models here. What do we think is the better of them? Ooh, I, I hate to stretch this episode out, but I do want the opinion on this, Mike, because it's become pretty clear Amazon is the first to embrace a new business model that I think the rest will be following they stretch it out past a month because they usually only offer a one-week trial. So they want you to get the subscriptions now. A lot of these services yeah. are very mm. tired of the dip and dash. Um, uh, DC I'm Universe was the first one to do that. Ah. DC Universe um, was the first one to do that with Titans, and then they followed suit with Doom Patrol, Fuck that, and man. they got me for Doom Patrol. That's what happened with me with fucking CBS All Access when I just wanted to watch Picard. And then eventually I was like, why am I even paying for this when I don't like the show? Um, but now I want to get it again so I can watch it? the lower decks. So now I canceled that, but now I kind of feel like I have to get it again because I don't know how else to watch lower decks legally. At this so. point, I have too much built up to to dine and dash on CBS All Access because I would want to do all the Twilight Zones. I would want to do lower decks and Picard. Oh. It's too much oh and my sweeties when i see that the stand is coming up on cbs all access and i'm reading the headlines that it's coming out in a month and i'm like yes 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 cbs all access (laughs) like the rage that i immediately feel yeah (laughs) yeah we gotta get vpns because it's amazon everywhere else 
Oh, right. We got to get sponsored yeah, by a VPN, is what you're really saying. We're, we are available. <laughs> Nord VPN. Nord Surfshark private internet access. Get at us. Hit us up. Come on. We love, we love getting around legal loopholes. Yeah, but don't, <laughs> don't let Diego that, know. That's our He'll... catchphrase. Right. <laughs> Normies like us. Oh, yeah, we love... really. yeah, no. <laughs> loopholes. Fuck streaming services. That's the moral here. But let's hear those final thoughts on Umbrella Academy. I will jump in and say, um, without going too much into it, uh, to spoil anything for Jacob, but there are the problem that you had with Luther and communication in the first season. There is a moment at the end of season two where you see that the real superpower is active listening and kindness, and you see that the entire show has been about growth. Uh, what Mike said about rebooting the apocalypse, right? You know, it's interesting that season two reboots the apocalypse. I say it's interesting that the moral of the show really is you can't outrun your problems. You know, even the whole season of season one is we're apart, we're apart, we're apart because of the trauma we've been through from our father. But when they finally come together, then they're split apart again. They haven't faced those problems. They do need to face it on together. And the way that... Um, I don't know. It just it shows love and and siblings in a way that's just so appreciative. I didn't like season one. I'm with Joe. I'm so into this. Is it my favorite Netflix thing? No, but man, I would just eat it up with a spoon. Just please give us number three. I love you, Umbrella Academy. Well, Colin, yeah, it's interesting what you're saying because I did have a problem with like the way they communicate in season one, but then I realized like the way they were raised. Like they don't know how to communicate. They don't know how to be siblings because they were never raised to, to you know, they never learned that. You know, they had very cold, distant father. They had a, ro- a robotic mother who, you know, wasn't giving, you know, they, obviously, you know, Diego has some, some issues with his relationship with, his, with the mom too, which is really interesting. But yeah, they just had such a weird, you know, growing up that like they don't know how to communicate like normal people. And that's something they had to, to to you know learn so i i think what you're saying is spot on with the you know it's about growth it's about not being able to un- outrun your problems and stuff and i think that's so interesting and just the way that each character has like their own specific problems and motivations in their life and how they're like overcoming them and maturing almost like real people uh, yeah, they great. are and i, I hate it. to jump mm-hmm. back in again i know colin shut up but diego might be my favorite character because there's a moment in season two jacob where season one had a plot of him having a stutter, right? It's kind of forgotten. But then in a moment of mm. season two, it comes out for one line. And it's a devastating line for Diego. And it's just so human. Yeah. Yeah, like, um, Diego, like, he, he wasn't my favorite character in season one. And I just appreciate what, what they're doing with him in season two as well. And his relationship with Luther is so great. And... You're right. You know, I just love this show. And like the more I think about it, the more I appreciate the little things about it. So I would love to have a season three um, and onwards. And I'm with you guys. Like I'm just totally eating up season two right now. So I'll probably finish it in the next couple of days. So good stuff. Looking forward to receiving your hype texts as uh, you wrap <laughs> this thing up. Um, I guess my last I kind of threw them out there earlier, but last little thoughts here that jumped in my head. Uh, this the book was made by kind of an outcast, the emo kid, Gerard Way. And, you know, the Umbrella Academy is just a bunch of misfits who, you know, happen to be growing up together and learning about how to deal with communication and their individual problems. And sometimes that goes well, sometimes it doesn't. 
a lot like feeling you know like you grew up as an outcast and you're leaning on your friends as your family even more than your biological family in a way or being in a band where you're dealing with these personalities and trying to make it work for a common goal and you know yes. that maybe is what's coming out and what gives it a little bit different spice than a typical x-men as jacob said emo x-men emo x-men and that totally makes vanya's story even sadder because they're all outcasts and then she even feels like she's the outcast from the outcasts you know and like her whole relationship with Allison, like none of the siblings know how to talk to Vanya in season one. And it's, it's great. So love it. Yeah, it's good. Joe, final thoughts on uh, Umbrella yeah. Cad. I, I adore this show as well. I think everyone has summed up the emotional value of it uh, really beautifully here in the final wrap up. Uh, one of my other things that I don't think we're complimenting about it enough is that it doesn't talk down to the audience. This is proof that a normie audience will accept any superpowers that you show them if you lay the rules of the universe out well enough. I think it is a beautifully crafted show in every single way. Uh, The writing is phenomenal. The casting is phenomenal. The camera work is phenomenal. I I do not think there is a better looking show on television and there hasn't been for years. Uh, If you can't get enough of it, go check out the source material, even though you might be a little disappointed because it doesn't quite have the polish or pizzazz that you get with the Netflix show. So please, Zoomers, tweet whatever you got to tweet. Make (laughs) sure we get that season three and uh, go support your local comic book stores. Yeah, I think we're tweeting emo X-Men at this point now. I think we're going to go ahead and get that (laughs) going. I love that. Or what is (laughs) the TikTok you can do? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, at at Gerard, emo X-Men 3. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Support local if you can. Um, I want to thank you guys for joining me, joining us, the, the uh, Normbrella Academy, as we went over this. And nice. It's, uh, We're getting our normie tattoos as we speak. We will be starting to refer to each other as our numbers here. But, of course, <laughs> you can always find us at normies underscore like underscore us on all our social medias. Like we said, help us out here. Tweet some stuff out. Tweet some stuff at us. Let us know if you like the show, if you hate the show, if you don't want it to continue you bastards you're watching um, cursed yeah you, oh yeah <laughs> season two of cursed that's my favorite back Netflix sleepy show. hollow on fox <laughs> <laughs> we're not ended on that but we've been your hosts this is uh number colin uh mike on the moon uh joe joe bro uh, <laughs> uh uh-oh jobo and this is uh my Jobo-bo. chemical jacob Bye, Thanks, normies. normies. And I'm not okay, Bye. normies. I'm not I promise. Okay. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. This is Aquaman, and if you enjoyed that episode, I'd really appreciate it if you give it a like, share, and subscribe on iTunes, and you'd really be one of my man if you share with a friend. We'll be seeing you around. No, Hawthorne Heights. Hawthorne Heights. Heights. Oh, ever compare my chemical romance to Hawthorne Heights? Oh, please. That is, they are exactly the same. (laughs) How dare you? If My Chem's the greatest emo band, Hawthorne Heights is the greatest emo one-hit wonder. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, you know, they're they're fine, but I would put them at, they're like a C-list emo band to me. No, but Ohio is for Lovers is a yeah. S-tier emo song. Yeah, well, the one going through t-shirts. the wires. That's the one I remember. Oh, by the way, freaking Allison, when she is in the 60s, looks just born 
for it. She is so perfect yeah. in like the 60s. Very true. Get I love all their new hair. looks in season oh, two. Man. She's from yeah. Hamilton, I guess. Yeah, she wears classic stuff well. She's yeah, from she's Hamilton? Great. Rumor has it. Everybody's from Hamilton. <laughs> if you let it run long enough, everybody will be have been in Hamilton eventually. It's inevitable. Yeah. 